Good morning, church. I know that you know what I'm going to say even before I say it, but I hope that you never get tired of hearing it because I know I never get tired of saying it. I love you, and I hope that you know that you are loved, not just by me. I hope, you're no, I hope you know that you are loved by so many people. I hope you hear I love you throughout your week. I hope you hear that throughout your life, but I especially hope that you hear it and you know it and you feel it here that you are loved. If you've ever flown before, if you've flown especially more than one time, you probably know what's going to happen. Every time you, you get on the plane, right before they take off, a flight attendant is going to stand in the aisle, right, and is going to hold up a seatbelt for you and is going to demonstrate how that seatbelt works and how the two pieces fasten together and pull up on the strap and make sure that it's tight and they're going to demonstrate the oxygen mass that in the event of loss of pressure is going to drop down from the ceiling and how to attach that over your nose and mouth and if you're traveling with someone to put yours on first and then theirs and then it's going to talk about the flotation device and you know if you've if you've heard that that uh, that demonstration once you know what's going to happen so what do you do when the flight attendant gets up there and prepares to give that demonstration that you know is coming if you're like me, you pick out the movie that you're going to watch during that demonstration, right? Or you pick the book that you're going to read. Why? Because you're assuming, I already know all of this. You're assuming, I've heard all of this. You're assuming that nothing has changed since the last time I heard this. In fact, I'm betting my life on it, right? I'm betting my life on the fact that I know all of this stuff, and in the event of emergency, I could probably figure it out, and I'm assuming that nothing has changed. But here's the problem. Here's the problem, that it is impossible to listen and learn when we assume we already know. It is impossible to listen and learn when we assume we already know. That's true with a flight demonstration, but it's also true in every area of our life, including our spiritual lives. And we are so guilty of that sometimes, aren't we? Where we show up, we sit through the demonstration, but we're assuming, I already know all of this. I'm assuming I've already heard all of this. We show up at church and we say, I've already sung these songs. I know all of the words. I've already heard this sermon. I've heard this Bible class. I know this text. I'm assuming I'm not going to hear anything new. I'm assuming I'm not going to hear anything I don't already know. I'm assuming I know pretty much what I already need to know about Jesus and about God and about sin and about righteousness. I'm assuming I know all of these things. And when you make those kinds of assumptions, even though you're not conscious of it, it's impossible to listen or learn. You, you just let everything go. We say in one ear and out the other. You're not really listening. You're not choosing not to listen. You're not choosing not to learn. But because you're making the assumption. I'm assuming I already know what I need to know. When you make that assumption, as soon as you make that assumption, everywhere you make that assumption, you are setting yourself up not to listen and not to learn. Even if you hear the words, you're not really making the connections. The good news is that the parables of Jesus are designed for exactly this situation. The parables of Jesus are designed to wake people up 
from their not listening. They're designed to do and to have a certain reaction. And it's a really spiritual word. I'm going to teach you a really spiritual word. Are you ready? Here's the spiritual word that we're supposed to respond to the parables with. It's this word. Huh? You know that word? Huh? What, what did he say? What, what, does that, what does that mean? What is, what is Jesus saying here? That's, that's the reaction that Jesus is hoping to elicit from people who hear the parables. He's hoping that they'll say, what? Huh? What, what is he even talking about? What does he mean by that? In fact, here's a couple of quotes from a couple of scholars that I thought were helpful on the parables from Tim Mackey at the Bible Project. He said this, for Jesus, these were not little helpful illustrations to make everything clear. They actually seemed to function the opposite way. They were puzzling inviting stories that force you to do the work of thinking and listening as you consider Jesus. We're not supposed to listen to these stories and say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for that story, because that made everything clear. In fact, it's supposed to do the opposite, to say, that doesn't make any sense. And if it doesn't make any sense, good, because that starts you doing the hard work of asking more questions. Here's what Amy Jill Levine said. She said, religion has been defined as designed to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. I really like that. We do well to think of the parables of Jesus as doing the afflicting. Therefore, if we hear a parable and think, I really like that, or worse, fail to take any challenge, we are not listening well enough. The parables aren't designed for you to say, well, isn't that a cute little story? That makes everything so clear. Now I perfectly understand. The parables are designed to elicit your reaction that says, I don't think I understand things as well as I assumed I did. The parables are designed to make you uncomfortable. Because it's only when you're uncomfortable that you can listen. It's only when you're uncomfortable that you can learn. It's only when you're uncomfortable that you can grow. We don't grow when we're comfortable, do we? We don't learn. We don't listen when we think, oh, this is really easy. I know all of this already. But again, so many of us fall into this category, even ironically with the parables themselves, because we've heard the parables. Most of us have probably heard these stories before, and so we make the same mistake with the parables that we make with Jesus in general. And we say, I already know this. But let's try to sort of put on first century ears and realize, wait a second, what does he mean by that? What is that supposed to mean? So we're going to be in Luke chapter 8 with our first parable in this series. But before we get there, I kind of want to lead up with how have people in the gospel of Luke been responding to Jesus? How have people responded to Jesus thus far? Well, first, Luke chapter 4, his hometown synagogue celebrated him, but then they decided they didn't like him and they wanted to kill him by throwing him off a cliff, okay? So that's one reaction. The religious leaders accused Jesus of blasphemy. The religious leaders accused him of breaking the law of Moses, of violating the Sabbath. But the poor and the sick, they sought Jesus out for healing. Tax collectors and sinners 
rejected, marginalized people ate with him. A Roman centurion trusted in his power to heal. A Roman centurion trusted in his power. A sinful woman washed his feet with her tears and dried his feet with her hair. And right before this story, Luke tells us that several women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities accompanied and financially supported Jesus. So with that in mind, read Luke chapter 8 and verse 4. Luke says this, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, So already, if we're paying attention to this gospel account of Luke, we realize that in this crowd, it's probably a mixed audience, isn't it? There's people there that love Jesus, and they think, wow, this Jesus guy, he is amazing, he's healing people, they're sort of caught up in the buzz about Jesus, they're friends of Jesus, or they're fans of Jesus, but they like what they're hearing, they like what they're seeing from Jesus, and they think there's some real possibility in this Jesus guy. There's probably other people in the crowd who are just curious about Jesus. And they're like, I, I, I want to I hear what this guy is going to say. I want to see what he's going to do. I'm not really sure about this guy. And there are others that hate his guts, that have already decided this guy is an enemy of Israel. He's a false teacher. He's a false prophet. He's a blasphemer. He's a liar. He's from the devil. And they hate Jesus. But one thing they probably had in common was that they were already making a lot of assumptions about Jesus. They were already making assumptions about Israel, about Jesus himself, about what a Messiah might be. Is this guy the Messiah? Some people are saying he's the Messiah, but they were assuming they knew what the Messiah was going to be like. They assumed they knew God. They assumed they knew the law. They assumed they they had things pretty well figured out, and they were just trying to see, does Jesus fit into that mold? Look at verse 5. Here's what Jesus says. Here's Jesus' story, verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And that's the end of his story. That's the end of the story. He doesn't, to the crowd, he doesn't explain, well, what does that mean? What are you even talking about, Jesus? And that's supposed to be our reaction where we say, huh? What? What is that even about? If nothing else, we can look at this story and say, Well, that's a weird farmer, isn't it? That's a weird farmer. It's a bizarre farmer. I've been having trouble with my lawn lately, and so I've been trying to put some seed down. But I'll tell you, one thing I never did with the seed was intentionally let it fall on my driveway. I I never intentionally let it fall on the road or on the sidewalk. I know better than that. But this farmer, he's weird. He's a bizarre sower of seed. What is he doing He's just throwing it out, and some of it falls on the path. Why are you letting it do that? Why are you being so careless with the seed that it would fall on a path so that people trample on it and birds pick it up and eat it? Some of it falls on the rocks. 
Why are you doing that? Why didn't you make sure that that wasn't going to happen before you started sowing the seed? Some of it falls in the weeds. Why are you letting it fall in the weeds? Oh, and by the way, some of it happens to fall on the good soil. What is this farmer? Is he so wealthy and so rich that he doesn't care where the seed falls? What kind of a farmer is this who sows the seed indiscriminately? He's not being careful that it only falls on certain kinds of soil. So when we hear Jesus tell this story, you're supposed to say, what in the world is he talking about? This isn't the kind of farmer that I've ever heard of. Then the latter part of verse 8, he says this. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that's it. That's the application. That's what you're supposed to do with it. Listen, take it to heart. If you've got ears, listen to what I'm saying, Jesus says. So here's the story. Now listen to it. Take it to heart. Take what to heart? What does it even mean? What am I supposed to do with this? See, if you think that Jesus has something important to say, if you, if you believe that Jesus has things important to teach you, if you don't assume, I, I pretty much have it all figured out already, I know what I need to know, if you assume that, you'll just walk away saying, huh, weird story, okay, that's it. But if you assume Jesus has something more to teach me, and I guess I don't know everything I need to know, I guess I haven't learned everything that I need to learn, I guess I, I really don't understand, then you'll go to Jesus and you'll say, tell me more about this, explain this to me, I don't get it. Oh, those are good spiritual words saying, I don't get it. I don't understand. And it's the people who say, I don't understand. Tell me more, Jesus. I don't understand. I, I, I can't figure it out. It's those people who will be blessed by Jesus. Look at verse 9. And when his disciples asked him, that's exactly what they did, they asked him what this parable meant. He said, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. See, what happened in the first century is the same thing that happens in the 21st century. People assume they already know. They assume they already know. In the first century, they assumed they knew pretty much what a Messiah was going to be. I don't know whether Jesus is that Messiah or not, but I assume I know what the Messiah is going to be when he shows up. He's going to kill the Romans. He's going to overthrow the Romans. He's going to establish Israel as the most powerful nation in the world. He's going to draw other people to himself, and he's going to rule with an iron fist over all of the kingdoms. That's what a Messiah is going to be. And they assumed wrong. They assumed wrong. Their assumptions about the Messiah were all wrong. And so when Jesus came along, they didn't really listen to him because they assumed they already knew. And it's easy for us in the 21st century to say, yeah, silly first century people. They made assumptions. I don't make assumptions. I know that Jesus is all about taking away my personal sin and he's all about being my personal savior those are the assumptions we make, and our assumptions are wrong as well, because Jesus is so much more than that. Jesus is king, and his message, his word is a word about the kingdom, 
And the right response to Jesus is, I don't get it yet. Show me more, Jesus. Tell me more, Jesus. Teach me more, Jesus. It's to come to Jesus in humility and say, explain this to me. And we would do so much better if we would be like the disciples and come to Jesus and say, huh? What did you mean by that? And allow Jesus to teach us. And it's when he teaches us, when we have the posture of a learner, of someone who is poor in spirit, who is someone who doesn't make assumptions, someone who says, I don't know, I don't understand, it's then that we can hear the secrets of the kingdom of God. Look at verse 11. Now the parable is this, Jesus explains. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. These are probably the people in the audience, in the crowd, who assumed, oh, we already got this Jesus guy figured out. He's a blasphemer. He is a lawbreaker. He's a liar. He's a false prophet. They assumed they already knew about Jesus and already understood about Jesus. They already had Jesus pegged as not being what he claimed to be, and so they didn't really hear him. And Satan was able to snatch up the word before it ever took root. But here's the scary thing. The people who this part of the story represents have no idea that's who they are. They think they are fertile soil, don't they? They think they are the good soil. They don't think that they, if they're even listening to the parable, they don't think that they are the path. They don't think that Satan is snatching up the word of the kingdom from their hearts before it ever sinks in. They assume that they're the good soil because they haven't stopped to examine themselves. They're making assumptions not just about Jesus. They're making assumptions about themselves. And how often do we do that? Even if we have, to some degree, accepted the word of the kingdom from Jesus, how often do we show up at church, or show up at Bible study, or sing songs, or visit with people, and we assume we already know everything we need to know, and so our hearts become hard, and the word of God just bounces off, and Satan snatches it up before it even has a chance to take root. See, this is what happens when we assume we know ourselves, when we assume we're the good soil without actually reflecting and being renewed. Look at verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. These are Jesus' friends, Jesus' fans, people that say, hey, we... We like this Jesus. I mean, maybe he healed one of their diseases. Maybe he healed their son or their daughter. Maybe he healed their mother. Maybe he healed someone close to them. They've seen his miracles. They think, I like this Jesus. I like what he's saying. I like what he's doing. Maybe I'll follow him. But then things get hard. Then the religious leaders say, listen, if you follow Jesus, if you say that he's the Christ, if you say he's the Lord, then you're out of the synagogue. And you lose your friends, you lose your family, you lose your support group. And things get hard and you get persecuted. That's when these people say, 
oh, never mind, I'm out, I'm out. I, I don't want to do that. I didn't realize it was going to be so hard. I didn't realize it was going to be so difficult. I didn't realize it was going to be so challenging. But again, the seed that falls on the rocky soil, the rocky soil doesn't know that about itself either. The rocky soil assumes that it's good soil because those people haven't stopped to examine themselves either. So how many of us are fooling ourselves into thinking, oh no, we're the good soil. Look at our response to Jesus. We love Jesus. We clap for Jesus. We shout for Jesus. We sing for Jesus. And maybe we haven't really experienced a time of trial yet. And what happens when the trials come? What happens when the persecution comes? What happens when it is hard to follow Jesus and to do things in the way of Jesus? What will we do then? What we will do then is probably going to be determined on how well we examine ourselves now. Do you ever take time to stop and say, am I that soil? Am I the fair weather fan of Jesus? Oh, I like Jesus when he's helping me out. But do you have the perseverance, the patience, the endurance to stick with Jesus during the difficult times? Look at verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but they go on their way. They are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Should I read that one more time? Because maybe we're hearing, but we're not really hearing. They go on their way, and they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Do you hear what Jesus is telling us? That wealth and pleasure and comfort can be just as spiritually detrimental to your spirituality as persecution perhaps even more so in a deceptive way. Because do you see what happens to the plant? The plant doesn't die. It's just unfruitful. And an unfruitful plant is a dead plant that just doesn't know it yet. And that's what wealth does to us. That's what the cares of this world do to us. That's what pleasure does to us. That's what comfort does to us. But yet we're oblivious to it, aren't we? on how it chokes out the fruitfulness of a spiritual life. Oh, so often we thank God that we don't have to endure persecution, that we live in a country where we don't have to endure persecution. And listen, I'm glad too. But how often do we stop and realize what we do have to deal with? Wealth, comfort, pleasure. And those things can be just as spiritually detrimental as persecution. Do we stop and ask ourselves, is this me? Is this me? Has the, the word of God fallen on my heart, but there's really no room in my heart for a fruitful plant to grow? Because I'm too concerned about everything else. I'm too concerned about the money. I'm too concerned about the career. I'm too concerned about the house. I'm too concerned about the car. I'm too concerned about maintaining my level of comfort and wealth and pleasure. And Jesus says, this is what happens. This is what happens. Some of the seed is going to fall in this kind of soil. Can we be honest? And say for the vast majority of American 21st century Western Christians, 
this is probably where a lot of the seed falls. And we're not just talking about someone else. We're talking about ourselves. Can we stop and examine ourselves and reflect on ourselves and say, is it possible that I show up and I go through the demonstration and I let them demonstrate the safety features and tell me all the stuff, but I'm not really listening because my heart is too filled and too consumed and too distracted by all the wealth and the treasure and the pleasure and the comfort. And then he says in verse 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Is that, is that your heart? Is that what's happening in your heart? The only way to know that is to truly listen to Jesus and examine yourself. But you know, one of the most amazing things about this parable, about this story, about the ministry of Jesus, is that Jesus sows the word indiscriminately, doesn't he? Jesus isn't strategic. I hear Christians all the time talk about how we should be strategic with our evangelism. Jesus wasn't. He wasn't strategic. He didn't pick and choose and say, well, these people will be receptive and these people won't be receptive, so we need to focus over here and not over there. He sowed the seed indiscriminately. And it was up to the soil. It was up to the hearer. It was up to the listener. It was up to the people to decide, what will I do with this message? What will I do with Jesus? Jesus is spreading the good news all over the world, including to you. And you have to decide what kind of soil will you be? What will you do with the good news about the kingdom? What will you do with the message about Jesus? How will you respond? And if our response is, I'm broken. I don't understand. Tell me more, Jesus. That's exactly the kind of response he's going for. Jesus challenges our assumptions. That's what the parables of Jesus are all about, is challenging our assumptions. So three takeaways that we could leave with. Number one, don't assume you know yourself. Examine your heart. How much trouble do we get in when we assume we know ourselves? When we assume, no, 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 I, I'm not going to let the cares of this world choke out my fruit. I, I'm not going to fall away when things get hard. I'm not going to let Satan pluck the message from my ears before it really even sinks in. I'm going to bear fruit. And we're self-deceived. Don't assume you know yourself. The secrets that got to peek behind the curtain, that got the explanation of what this parable was all about, were the people who were willing to say, I don't get it. I'm broken. I'm like a child. I need to learn more. I need to hear more. Tell me more, Jesus. And that needs to be our response as well. Don't assume you already know. Don't assume you know yourself. And number two, don't assume you know the word of the kingdom. Take care how you hear. So many people misunderstood Jesus, rejected Jesus because they assumed they already understood the word of the kingdom. 
They knew what the kingdom was going to be. At least they thought they did. And so many of us fall into the same trap. We assume, I already know good news. I know about the good news. Jesus, I already know about Jesus. Do you really? Do you really? Jesus will challenge those assumptions if you let him. If you allow him to challenge you, he will challenge you. So don't assume you know the word of the kingdom. And finally, number three, don't assume you know others. Be like Jesus. Spread the word indiscriminately. Spread the word indiscriminately because you don't know who will respond well to the gospel and who won't. In fact, in fact, it has always been shocking who responds well to the gospel, including you and me. And if you don't think that's shocking, you're not paying close enough attention. Because it is shocking, isn't it? It's shocking that you and I would respond to Jesus, that we would be followers of Jesus, that we get to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world. And it will surprise you who else will respond well to Jesus. Throughout Luke's gospel account, it was shocking how the religious leaders rejected Jesus and how the people who had been rejected as sinners and outcasts, they were the ones who proved to be good soil. So if you want to be like Jesus, spread the word indiscriminately. Don't assume you know people, including yourself. Because It's to the people that know that they're sick. They know that they're broken. They know they need a king. They know they need to be led. They know they need a shepherd. These are the people who respond well to Jesus. And maybe maybe you're ready to respond for the first time in your whole life to Jesus and to put him on in baptism. Allow him to wash your sins away. Allow him to really lead you to go to him in humility and say, I don't get it yet, but I want to. I don't have it yet, but I know you do. And I want to follow you and surrender your whole self to him in baptism. Or maybe you've already made that decision. Maybe you made that decision a long time ago. But you've allowed the cares and the riches and the wealth and the pleasure and the comfort or the persecution and the hard times and the trials to get in your way and to distract you from Jesus and you need to come back home. Or maybe you're just carrying a heavy burden and your brothers and sisters in Christ can surround you with love and care and prayer. Our shepherds would love to pray with you in the prayer room or you could come forward right now. Let's together we stand and sing this song.